I got to say, you know, disco, of course, was starting to fade a little bit by then. But mm -hmm. one way, really, I thought, navigated through that period well. You know, you guys never went too overboard with disco, and you kept mm -hmm. it funky enough, and you kept the soul in there. Uh, did you ever feel like you kind of had to fight going to be too disco? I don't think so. I, again, I, I don't think I don't think we felt that because we. I, I think the disco song was not written on purpose trying to be a part of disco it was just an idea that kevin and al came up with just happened to have the four four uh drum beat and uh because we kind of still uh stayed with the funk so to speak and actually that song the biggest part of mm -hmm. even writing that song was the basic simple part of the keyboard dun, 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 dun. that's the yeah the whole song and if you after that cool in the game what was that ladies night yeah you know because we worked with uh emir diodato yeah diodato and he even let us know that some of that you know idea was from that from ladies night yeah right yeah, ladies night he got the thing. piano part from ladies night from you can do it right <laughs> I see. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, Donald produced our ninth album. Yeah, he's a good guy. He was yeah. a real good guy. Yeah. Fun, fun, fun. Pleasure to work with him. Yeah, but I, I don't think we've ever, um, you know, and I, I just now that you got me thinking about it, I don't think we were ever stuck in the middle of trying to keep up with what everybody else did, so to speak, because we. Because you got to remember, we, we grew up, and I got to throw one other group in there, too, because back in the day when you were kids, everybody thought they were somebody. So Kevin McCord was a first tenor. Uh, so he always thought he was either Eddie Kendricks or, or, or uh, Curtis Mayfield or somebody that sung in that, you know, along that line, or, or Ryan Banks. So also uh, he was just always a big Ryan Banks from the Dramatics fan. So... We, when we were writing songs, even though we did a lot of the James Brown stuff to accommodate Al's voice, you know, we tried to write some stuff that sounded like the dramatics, or we tried to write some stuff to sound like the Ohio players, or we tried to write some stuff to sound like Al Green, so to speak. So if you listen to a lot of the music on our albums, that's why there's kind of a wide variety of, of uh, somewhat of a wide variety of styles within the music that we did, you know, so... Yeah, I don't think we ever felt that we had to uh, kind of sound like what what was hitting current in the market, you know. Actually, I think it was also intentional to not follow what everybody else does, you know, because, you know, once music changed, you can change somewhat, but you don't change who you are to become what the world turns out to be, because that would take you away from who you are trying to be it wouldn't be as much fun trying to be somebody else because mm -hmm. music changed itself. So mm -hmm. we just do what we do and, you know, just try to stigmatize ourselves where we stay, you know, our, to ourselves and true to our music and what we really feel mm -hmm. and where we came from. And of course, sometimes, back, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, of course, sometimes the record labels so interfere with that a little. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. They, and they do have some control. A yeah, lot of the, control. The, yeah. The part that we didn't like, which we just we went along with it, was we would spend all the time cutting the music. We knew what our fans liked, but they would pick the single. Mm -hmm. So we had no choice of what the single was going to be. <laughs> and back then, management were in control of us as well. So 
it stopped us from doing some of the stuff. We probably would have been a little More out there, you know. Funk wise, yeah, yeah, we probably yeah. would have been. But you know, it's <laughs> like you hear that story from so many people as you watch certain things on TV now and people talking about what happened in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, with different management and uh, companies being in control and it was true, you know, at that time, you know, and it's really only so much you can do. You say, well, do I go along with it? Because they are a big part of what we are too, because mm -hmm. they are the stepping stone, you know, to get us in the doors. So we kind of, you know, go with the flow a little bit too. Yeah, well, mind you, we were never, uh, we never felt that we were forced uh, to do anything. Because actually, writing-wise, they let us have the freedom. Right. You know, we wrote what we felt, what we wanted to write. We just never had any choice of what record came out first. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, so, uh, and, then, and then, you know, the record companies back in the day, uh, which I thank them for because a lot of acts uh, wouldn't be where they are or what they ended up being if they didn't have departments that groomed you, that taught you how to be an entertainer properly taught you how to act in public, things of that nature. And mind you, I think they groomed the Jackson 5 or maybe a year before they released anything on them. So, um, yeah, so they were a big part in, in our look because if, if you notice, our look changed well, a couple of times. But the cool part was we got to pick our own clothes, even though one time they picked our hairstyle. So they <laughs> had a, they, it, was a, it was kind of like a Miami Vice look <laughs> on, on one project. We all had on the linen and, yeah. you know, they had kind of the shorter hair and, the Don Johnson look and things of that nature, but for the most, but but for the most part, yeah, they were in control of what records came out and things of that nature. So, yeah. Well, that's good to hear because the results paid off. I mean, yeah, talk absolutely. about the variety. I think definitely one of the things that distinguished, you know, what you guys were doing was variety. And even on that first record, you know, I went back before I did this. I went back and listened to all the records over again. Um, because frankly, you know, getting deep into them, it's been a while since I've done that. I continuously listen to all the, you know, hits and favorites, but it's rare for me to go deep in and listen to them again, but I did. And um, on that first record, you know, to me, I could hear influences like BT Express, Rufus, um, you know, things like that that were popping at the time yeah. added to your variety. You didn't, you didn't copy them. But, you know, that something was in the air with some of those things. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Right. And that's that's true. Uh, Rufus and Shaka Khan was another act that we that we admired coming up, you know, and, and uh, as kids, you you tend to mimic uh, those that you liked. Uh, for instance, Kevin and I, we could never find horn players to be with the band on a regular basis because we were extreme fans of the Ohio players. Like I, I played trombone in school. So I've always been a big horn fan, but Kevin and I both were horn fans because of the JBs. And you know who the world's best saxophone player to us is, still is, Maceo Palmer. He's the only <laughs> horn player I ever heard that could play on a groove. And if you I, notice- I gotta tell you, my, my son is named after Maceo. Really? Yeah. Get out. He's not named Maceo, but his middle name is Parker. And I'm oh, really? Yeah. Okay, okay. And he's playing alto sax now. No, okay, okay, great, great, great. <laughs> and, 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 and with Maceo, um, Kevin and I studied him so much. If you notice, you go back and listen to Maceo's solo, no other sax player solos on the backbeat. Maceo solos off the backbeat of a track. 
So I guess that what that's what made his his uh, his style what it was. Now I'd have to research it, but I don't ever remember hearing him play on anything prior to being with James Brown. So I, I'm not aware of that he was, but he was the he was the premier funk saxophone player. <laughs> yeah, no one like Maceo, in my opinion. Absolutely. So yeah, we mimicked. Yeah, so we mimicked. Um, we call ourselves mimicking a lot of acts, you know, and uh, uh, which helped create what we what came what became our sound, you know. So, but yeah, we had a lot of acts that we love to. Well, let's let's you know let's do this or let's do that. Or did you hear the Ohio Players' new record? Da 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 da. And when you started out back in the day, you had to you know before we had records, we were just doing top forty anyway or top right, twenty, right, or top right. ten or. <laughs> So we had to really get into everybody who we liked ourselves. Mm -hmm. Well, even on that second record, I hear a touch of um, <clears throat> Blackbirds in Let's Go Out Tonight. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's a Kevin McCord creation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's Go Out Tonight. Yep. That's, that's a Kevin McCord creation. Again, <laughs> yeah. Kevin had some of the tightest, simplest <laughs> tracks on the planet back in the day. He kept, I think Al just mentioned this. About a week or so ago, he might have been a little ahead of his time, writing-wise. Yeah, I wouldn't argue that. Yeah. How did you decide how uh, which tracks to make long or not? Because in that record, I was glad <laughs> Pop it was almost eight minutes, but you know, <laughs> copy this is only like three twenty-nine, and that's also right. a badass groove. Right, but they copy this when we were doing that. <laughs> You know, even in the studio, it's funny you mentioned that, how some of the songs be so short. But that is something that we also didn't have some control over. But our managers, saying. you know, who were really in charge, one time, what song was that we did? He was, he was asleep, and he had to get out to California, and we were cutting the song, and he said, he woke up, he said, that's it, I got to go. That's it, cut it right there. You know, cut it right I got I'll tell no, you, it. It was about I, I don't remember what album it's on, but it was a song I wrote called One of Us. Yeah. And when albums were out, the most you could do was 19 minutes per side. So Al Perkins was in the studio when we were doing the final mixes, and he was going to take the tapes, go straight to the airport, yeah. fly to L.A. So he wakes up, he says, if you want this song on the album, Stop it right there right. and do the fade. That song ended up being two minutes and something. I think like two ten or two. I think it was like two seven. Or <laughs> it was like really short. So sure. I wanted a song on the album so bad. I said, "Okay, we, we were engineered by Mike Acapelli at the time, which also worked at United." I said, "Mike, fade it right there." <laughs> <laughs> so, but Pop It. Now, mind you, Pop It was recorded at a studio uh, in in Dearborn, Michigan, called Pack Three which was owned and operated at the time by a guy named Richard Becker. Now, again, like I said, Pop It was a song that we just made up. It was a rehearsal song at the studio. So by us being musicians, we just played till we got tired. And, and that was one of the songs Al Perkins wasn't there when we, when yeah, we mixed it. we were so, so glad. We just took advantage. <laughs> so that's how that song ended up being long. Uh, we were being clowns on that one. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. You didn't need a 12-inch so, single for that one. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So I so I guess um, and then some of the standard songs, uh, you know, had the basic uh, intro, uh, two verses, two bridges and maybe a breakdown or something in a fade or what have you. But if, of course, if it was a dance song, 
we tried to make them we tried to make it as long as we could get it and of course at that time uh locking and popping were popular dances did Absolutely. you guys ever have them come up on stage guys and do those dances i know the hot players used to do that um i think once or twice we did we did a gig at studio 54 in new york and we had dan had a, some of the dancers out of the new york uh, market come up and dance uh, alongside us while we played some cuts i enjoyed that with the how players did that and then i used to see i am two may back then and really the guy came out there and did that too yeah wow wow <laughs> so now, al, go ahead al mentioned a song called copy this uh, no, he mentioned it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, when you mentioned it, I got to tell you the story behind that song. Um, when <laughs> Ladies' Night came out, and we knew, we had a feeling that they stole our piano part from You Can Do It. So, uh, so the next album, we decided, let's write an answer to that. It's <laughs> now, now copy this. this. <laughs> Hoping that they would. <laughs> but that's where that song came from. Oh, did we ever tell Diodato that we wrote that song because of that? I don't think so. <laughs> but that's, that's where that song derived from. So I guess that was the first the first beef song that had the rappers beef well, each actually, other. <laughs> actually, we didn't tell him about the ladies night. He told us. Yeah, you know, yeah, so he mentioned to us in the we studio. Didn't, he he let us know. Yeah. You know, so. so yeah, so that's where copy this came from. <laughs> they should have copied it. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. So the next record, guys, um, Fancy Dancer came out in 81. Mm -hmm. And this mm -hmm. one, I mean, it's really slamming. That first cut, uh, Fancy Dancer pull. Yeah. I mean, that track drips with funk. It is yes. incredible. Yeah. I mean, yes. it's just pouring off of that cut. <laughs> right, right. One of our favorites. And it's on the show now as we speak. And actually, we're about to lengthen the song for the show because the crowd likes it so much. Right, but yeah, that that is a track. Again, that's a Kevin McCord uh, guitar, Dave Robertson track. I mean, I don't even think it was as big of a hit then as it should have been. You know what I mean? That's right, exactly. I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> who's who's a woman singing on it? That's uh, that's what well, that that's Candy 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 Edwards. Yep. Wow, incredible. Yeah. And then it just starts off with that one and get up too. I mean, just two amazing grooves right off the top of yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys did that a lot where you'd have like back to back that just kicked ass, you know? Yeah. Um, did you guys decide the sequencing when you put those records together? Uh, sometimes we, we did the order and then, well, I tell you what, most of the times we would send the order in to the record company. And if they seem fit to change something, they did it. But a lot of the times, we we um, had the pleasure of 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 of, uh, of uh, organizing which song was first, second, third, and don't know so on and so forth. But yeah, but the record company, if they if they seem fit, they would make a change. We started record off with those two. I mean, listeners are in; they're under your spell. I mean, we're you know, it's irresistible. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, and the funk didn't stop on that one. Hold it is sort of a little bit uh schoolboy crush kind of thing i don't know if you yep. yeah that that was okay. me I, I wrote that and i wrote yeah, it because of uh <laughs> the average white band that was another one of my favorite bands to to to, to mimic but that's where that song came from yeah well yeah. if you're gonna copy i mean that's one of my all-time favorites <laughs> schoolboy crush yeah um burn it was 
you know, real like kind of upbeat funk. And um, your love is all I need. Real nice, smooth ballad to close right. it out. You know. Yeah. So um, that album I think is tremendous. So that really set the stage again for you guys going to another level. I think. Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, and that level was um, love is one way came after that, right? Yep, I think so. Love is. Oh, uh, that's the second one. The, the second, sec the first one, uh, Wade wrote. The right, second one I was wrote. sitting here where you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you guys were coming so quick with the albums in the early '80s, it starts <laughs> right. getting confusing when you go back. Which one came first? You know. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> that was that was another thing that Al Perkins did. Uh, we didn't have time to rest. He released an album and started us working on the next one. So when that, by the time that one died down, boom, here comes the next one right behind it. That was a blessing. <laughs> wow. Uh, Love is nice, nice ballad again. Thank you. Uh, my, my ladies, a real nice um, R&B kind of mid-tempo thing. Right, exactly. Um, now this record, the whole first half was mellow, and the second half was like a party thing. I'm <laughs> sure that was intentional. Right, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure if we. Which, which, which song was that? The album "Love Is One Way." The first oh, half okay. album was all mellow. The second oh, yeah. half was the party half. Yeah. Right, right. I'm not sure who did the the lineup on that. Was that the that's the one we got on the blue and silver on the cover? It's the one where it's a picture of the band. Um. I don't have the actual the record cover. I don't know if you can see it. There. Oh, okay. oh yeah, that yeah, that's a black yeah, and white. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah, that's a actually those outfits were blue and silver, and the young lady in the middle of that photo's name is Denise. Okay, yeah, that was a one-time thing. Yeah, she she was in the band for just that one project. Right. But yeah, I, I'm not sure. I I'm not sure who. I think MCA might have did some of the lineup of that particular uh, project. Well, push another classic. Yeah. Yeah, push. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it still is today when we do the shows. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's, it's funny because when we when we do the show like that, I kind of say something pertaining to the three Ps, uh, pop, pushed, and because we do pull it in the last half of the first half of the show. Right. So if we come out with push, that's the first song. Right. So. <laughs> when you guys were doing it, I mean, were you thinking that when you were making them that, hey, we got to keep this P thing going or, you know, we got to keep this certain mm. theme going? No, uh, again, we just did them. <laughs> and, and, and it's funny, even better names that like we have where we popped. Now we pull it. Right. Now it's pushing. You know, right, right. it was the peas, the pee pops. Or yeah, whatever. I, I don't, I, you know, I don't think we had any. You know, we were just teenagers doing what 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 God meant us to do was write music and don't have no thought of why you're doing it. Right. The first groove popped in my head. I just wrote something to it. <laughs> and a lot of it had to do with the dances people were doing. Too. That's true. You know, we tried to stick with the, you know. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's that's what creates a lot of the tempo oh, yeah. of a song. Yeah. Uh, now, when you get to the ballads, yeah, we ballads, when we get to talking about those later on, those were written for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> those we sat down and thought about. <laughs> I.e. girlfriends and ex-girlfriends. Right. <laughs> and ex-wives. Right, 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 right. You went through. Right. But the and other... you're something in the past. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So we'll talk about those later. But yeah, the up-tempo stuff, yeah. I think it was just more fun for us. Um, uh, again, like Cutie Pie, for instance. Cutie Pie was another song that was, it started off as a, as a warm-up track at rehearsal. Al was about 10 minutes late coming in and the band was already there. And we just kind of started stroking the, 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 I don't know how it came, we just started making up some parts. And he walked in the door and just started going, cutie pie, right, exactly. no word, just singing cutie pie. Right, just right. kept saying it over exactly. and over. <laughs> and I think before the day was out, before rehearsal even got started good, we probably finished the song. Did you go home and write the lyrics after well, the Actually, that one I have to give comps to my ex-wife because she helped me write it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so it just it was another one of those uh, warm-up tracks uh, at rehearsal. And by the way, we don't write them like that anymore, but we still, when, when the band cooks up before we start doing anything dominant, we groove a little bit. And we probably done wrote another hundred songs. I know. Every day in rehearsal, <laughs> we just go for it. Whatever, whatever happens. <laughs> yep. So and we and we just sing to everything. I mean, we right, just make right. up stuff. Every so day. maybe we should start just turning on a, a recorder or something and just yeah. recording the warm up song at every rehearsal and just put out an album called we'll call it the album the warm up song. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. That'd be good. Your warm ups generated a lot of heat. That's all I can say. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. On that record, we, we talked about variety, you guys, and on that record, you had tracks like Be Serious, which really sort of had, I thought, some eclectic kind of vocals going on, and uh, you had uh, a reggae song, too, Wait Until Tomorrow. So, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, was, that, uh, that was away from what we normally do. Again, I have to give props to Kevin McCord. Um we were not super big reggae fans, but we were uh, tentative, tentatively around Bob Marley a couple of times. Bob Marley, believe it or not, uh, our, our former manager, Al Perkins, was the first concert promoter to bring Bob Marley to the States. Wow. I found, that, I found that out about 15 years ago through uh, an old uh, record promoter friend of his. And... Um, so later on down the line, uh, you know, Bob Marley was around uh, our manager a couple of times, and maybe that influenced Kevin McCord to uh, to create that track. And that was a that was a pretty that was a pretty big song on the East Coast, especially in the Boston area, because I remember doing it a couple of times uh, in a show when we played that particular market. Yeah, so that was that was something different. Mm -hmm. Did did you have any? Um... I mean, had you ever played any reggae before, uh, Dave? Because that's certainly a different feel from, you know, the yeah. other stuff. No, never. No, I, myself, I was a big Bob Marley fan as far as buying his records, but I, I never tried to write a reggae track or we never did anything else prior to that. And I don't think we did anything else after that that I can remember uh, that had that such a, that's close of a reggae uh, format. Yeah. Well, of course, I think uh, Stevie Wonder inspired some other groups to try oh, yeah. to yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> so I think we're um, we're finally at the record with Cutie Pie, which was 82. Um, mm -hmm. Biggest hit that the group ever had and took you guys to a different level. Absolutely. Ironically, from my standpoint, that record was maybe one of the more mellow ones overall for one way. But it has 
the number one funk hit on it in Kitty Pie. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. We say that about some acts, like they would say, like, dip, like when we tour in different things, he would say, you know, you would say, like, well, we're with, uh, you know, they used to call it a funk tour. Right, but right, they right. They have climax, and, you know, I mean, different right. people who have good music, but I mean, funk is funk, but, you know, some people just, I don't know. Everybody don't hear the same or something. I don't. I don't know how to explain. That. Yeah, as as much as I love the Ohio Players, they're kind of more of a smooth funk band, uh, so to speak. Uh, SOS, same thing. Their their music is not hard funk, but more like a smooth groove, so to speak. So it's funky, but it's not George Clintonist, right? Or James Brown funk, what I'm right? Yeah. Because then you got us, you got Zap, you got Barquets. Uh, you know, different acts in that genre, which is uh, uh, which is strictly hardcore funk, so to speak. And it's funny too. Um, Slave is considered in the funk genre, but Slave had more of a, a rock edge on, on their on their on their on their funk stuff. So I guess everybody had a little taste. But right, right. I think the smoothness of Cutie Pie probably contributed to Al, Al's voice because most of the other stuff was more group sing type songs where we all sung the song together, you know, but I think Cutie Pie had, it, the smoothness of that had something to do with Al's voice probably. And it, it's still, again, it was funny because I used to hate singing that song. <laughs> he did. <laughs> I he said, did. why me? Cutie Pie! You created a monster. Nah. Right, right. That's what I say, you never know. You never, you never know. Never say never. And it's funny, uh, probably some of our biggest hits were probably written in five or ten minutes. You know, the songs that we took time to, it took me two years to write this. Nobody never knows the song. <laughs> I wrote this song in five minutes. It's your biggest song ever. <laughs> well, so, you know, you guys we were talking about that you didn't realize at the time it was kind of a blur, but for this track in particular, I mean, when you were hearing it everywhere and it was on the radio so much and everything, I mean, you must have taken some notice. Hey, wow, this is really caught on. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, especially back in that time era, it was two songs we noticed that were had, that had to be monster hits because when we used to travel in our 15-passenger van back in the day, there mm -hmm. were no CD players and no tape decks in the van, so we would listen to radio stations. And we'd be traveling through Tennessee or Kentucky, and the only station we can get is a country and western station. Well, on some of those country and western stations, we not only heard Cutie Pie, but we heard, well, I wouldn't say country and western, but more of a, not a not an R&B station, not even straight pop, but we heard Cutie Pie and we heard Float On, on stations that you would never think you would hear that type of music on. So that's, I think that's when we realized that the song was, 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 was going to be huge. Did you guys ever think that you might cross over actually onto the like pop charts? Um, and did did you hope you did? Did you care? Well, we did one yeah. song hoping we could. Yeah, we now really that wanted I, a to. Song called "Now That I Found You." I don't know if you heard that one. Which record is that on? Now that I found you. Yeah, it's called "Now That I Found You." But yeah, we we really really wanted to cross over. And that was one of the reasons also the record company hired Diodato to, uh, to produce their ninth album as to hope to get a crossover hit. Um, but we, we, had a, we had a pop station here, which came out of Canada,
called CKLW back in the day. And um, a lot of the a lot of the R&B acts that crossed over how you told if you did or not, you would be played on their station. And uh, so we, we weren't, weren't familiar with any pop stations outside of Michigan, so to speak, except for that one station. But yeah, we really, really wanted to cross over. And then this song called Now That I Found You was written by a Canadian guy who we met in the studio as a session guitarist. And uh, somehow he got the song to Al Perkins and Irene Perkins and they liked it and we recorded it. And, uh, and, uh, and, and it was on one of the projects. I forgot what album it's on, but uh, it was a great song. Great song. Yeah, I'm looking on uh, One Way Nine and I don't see that title. Yeah, it's, it's before then. It's okay. before the One Way Nine album. Okay. And I, and I can't, matter of fact, I can't even tell you what album it was. It was on an album. But I know you can. It was a single. I know you can Google it if it comes up. Yeah, if you uh, go through, go on, you can find it on YouTube. Yeah. Of course, really, you can find it on YouTube. Okay. So yeah. you were really pleased with the way that came out, and you were a little disappointed that it didn't take off? Absolutely. Right, exactly. Absolutely, exactly. yes. That's the way it goes, yeah. We would have loved to cross over uh, to the pop market. Yeah, I'm surprised, a little bit surprised, though, that Kitty Pie didn't cross over. I mean, it, like I said, yeah. in, in the West Coast, it was a pop hit, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, next record, uh, Wild Night, hmm. again, another great one. You guys got three or four killer funk tracks on there. Um, the title track, Don't Fight the Feeling, Can yes. I, Can yes. I is great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's a song that we hate that didn't take off. Can I, again, that's another Kevin McCord creation. Can I is so, the groove on that song is so tight, it's ridiculous. And the solo, too, is incredible. Yes, yes. And I, I think, I'm trying to remember, that might be Leroy Hyder. Because Leroy Hyder was a keyboard player in our band, but he also played tenor sax. So that that might that keyboard solo might have been Leroy Hyder. I'm not sure. The way it just spins out of the groove. Yes. Is, I mean, it's perfection. <laughs> it's perfection. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and don't fight the feeling is another song that became a monster hit later on down the line via the rapper Too Short. Mm -hmm. Now, don't fight the feeling was a the medium hit for us. But when Too Short sampled it, now you mind you, he sampled this song about five or six times in different records and used it. And when he did that, it became a an overnight secondary monster hit, <laughs> especially with our West Coast audience. Right. <laughs> How did you guys feel overall about the whole sampling thing and when rap and hip hop came in? Actually, it's like before knowing what it would get you paid. <laughs> you know, it was like, oh no, well, you know, maybe not. But when the checks started rolling in, it's like, oh yeah, maybe we can get somebody else to sample. Right, right. <laughs> hey, let me call Nelly and see what he can do. <laughs> yeah. so, you know. I don't know if I had ever had an issue with the sampling thing, but my issue was uh, when they first started coming out with the term old school, I was like, I'm not old. I'm not an old school. But like Al said, when the checks started rolling in, I'm old school to the bone. 
just like now, just like even you can go online and just say uh, Snoop Dogg cutie pie, you know, and then it comes up. Or, right, right. You know, the different people it's who a use band. the song, you know. And Boys so. to Men re-recorded cutie pie on one of their albums. Right, exactly. Which was a wonderful thing again. And my, my, I have a 19-year-old who was tech savvy. He has gone online and found more of our music and other music that we were not aware of. Beyonce and Jay-Z has a song that used the loop of one of our ballads in it, which we had no clue. Uh, a lot of times there's so much extra stuff on the royalty statements, you really don't read it all. But yeah, even Jay-Z and Beyonce has a cut where they looped one of our ballads uh, and used it. Actually, it makes you feel good now when you think yeah. about it because you say, well, you know, what we did must have been good for so many people to still carry it on and on. Absolutely. You know, so it makes us feel like we were doing something good. And I still say again, sometimes before our time in a way, but it all depends on how you look at music, you know, and where it's going and where it's been. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it still is, it's, it still is an honor for so many huge name uh, people in the music business to still sample and use our stuff. So. Absolutely. And not only that, it's like, uh, what's the guy? Uh, Mm, rapper no i did the the big guy who did like that uh your song oh you let's talk about sex uh, um you're talking about bruno mars yeah bruno mars yeah. some different stuff that he does is, is yeah it's, truly, it's truly hints of one even, way even the, the the one of the latest songs is really to me has that cutie pie yeah 24 drum. Karat. we had to make sure that it wasn't the same drum and we and, still ain't sure yet. You know, and the different sounds and you know, I mean, so mm -hmm. even even with people doing what they do, it still lets us know that we were creating something that was good. Just Absolutely. Say, just say it was good. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So we, we love it to death now though. Yeah. Can't get enough of it, you know. When the record company notified us that uh that uh, Snoop Dogg and Problem and um what's the boy that does the T Pain, uh, T -Pain yeah. and one other guy. Um did redid cutie pie we were joyous we couldn't wait to hear it but once we heard it, it had so much cussing in it i said well it's going to be beeped a lot <laughs> so, <laughs> so we'll see how much it gets played on the air oh yeah little john was a part of that too oh yeah so we we loved it to death yeah. and it's funny too because once the family members found out they did it everybody couldn't they couldn't wait to run out and buy it so yeah so yeah so it's, it's a good thing that makes you smile well good i'm glad to hear that i know for a while a lot of the old school uh bands were you know not so cool with uh hip-hop but now Absolutely. that it's being handled properly right right, exactly. right. i think it's all good exactly. absolutely yeah, I, want I, Sample this. <laughs> <laughs> I want to mention a couple of other tracks on that record because they're sort of deeper cuts maybe some viewers aren't aware of but um making you an offer is a pretty slick danceable funky r b um and um, one of us is a really sort of frenetic funk groove. Um, that one's really short. Is that the one that had to get cut off? That's the That's one. That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> it's it's, it's yeah. about two minutes and something seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the one. <laughs> wow. So we got too short the rapper and too short the the song here. The song, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And then toast to the other man very much like an Isley kind of ballad. 
I right. Thought. Yeah. We were Isley Brother nuts back then, too. And still are. Yeah. And Toast <laughs> of the Man was written uh, to an ex-girlfriend and, and, and her new boyfriend. <laughs> Overall, though, I mean, a great, great record. Um, Absolutely. And then Shine On Me, I think, was the next one. Um, yeah. Again, yeah. two tracks together, back to back, slayed it. <clears throat> Sugar Rock. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's get together. <laughs> yep, Sugar Rock was um, uh, that was a creation of mine, and I think I had a little bit of Prince or somebody on my mind when I wrote Sugar Rock, and and something else, something else that was that was going on in that in the day of the dances, or something to that degree, had me to write Sugar Rock. Uh, and, and I, it might a little bit. Of, I think Sugar Rock has a has a little bit of sexual exploitation thing going on in there too. So, so there's a whole bunch of things that that created that song. Well, I describe that groove as just being slippery. <laughs> there you go. There you oh, go. Okay. There you go. Snuck it in there. Right. 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 <laughs> and you know, another thing too that I that I forgot to mention, um, some of our songs were created uh, at the at the at the birth of a new keyboard or a new synthesizer or a new synth sound. Uh, of course, when something, when 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 some of the synth companies like Yamaha and and Korg and Roland came out with something new, we couldn't wait to get in the studio to to or either at home to write tracks using some of the new sounds. I.e., Sugar Rock has had some uh, has some Korg uh, synth sounds in it that I liked. So a lot of those songs, so a lot of those songs were created because of synth sounds, things of that nature too. You were like the mad scientist. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it paid off. Um, on uh, Let's Get Together, are you doing that solo or is that somebody else? Guitar solo. Because um, it, it has a guitar, uh, an outright guitar solo in it. I can't remember. I don't even remember how the song goes. Remember how the Let's song? Get Together. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure. I'd have to listen to that. I'd have to listen. What, what album is that from? And I can kind of almost tell you. Shine on me. Shine on me. That was probably me. But we only used uh, we only used an outside guitar player uh, maybe once or twice. Uh, there's a later on down the line when you get to the uh, the album "Lady You Are" on it. A buddy of a buddy of ours named Randy Jacobs played guitar on that. So let's get together. It's probably me. So I'm gonna say it was uncharacteristically sort of like a rock guitar solo. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was nice, though. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the title track, which got some airplane attention, Shine On Me, nice mm -hmm. upbeat, sort of like chugging R&B track. Yeah. Uh -huh. Didn't yeah. John Brooks write that with you? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. We had a, at, at, if you listen, look at the back of the album cover, I think that was the biggest band we had at that one time. It was with 10 members, maybe. Uh, there was a gentleman in there named John Brooks, was a percussionist. And uh, he and Al wrote that track together. Yeah, I would say this track, I mean, this album, I don't know if you guys concur, but it was a little more R&B flavored than some of the others as opposed to funk flavored. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I would say that. I yeah, would say that. Yep, yeah. I, yep, I agree. I would say that. Is that just like where your whims took you, or is that a conscious thing? Um, I, I Probably, because at the, at the time, I think, we were kind of going more to the R&B thingy, 
especially paying attention, more attention to Al's voice, not trying to get away from funky stuff, but just more of the singable songs, so to speak, you know. And and again, ain't no telling who we was trying to, who our favorite artists were at the time. Right, exactly. Yeah. So we, I know a lot of a, a lot of the songs on that project leaned a lot toward Al's voice. So at this point, I mean, we're at the peak of one way. You know, it's like mm -hmm. mid mid '80s. About you guys are at the level you're going to get to. Um, exactly. what, was, what, what was your live show like? Who was who was the most energetic on stage, and what what, what were you bringing it like on stage? Back then, there was no arthritis. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we've always been um, we've always been pretty energetic on stage. We uh, was fortunate enough to uh, to create our own choreography, so to speak. Um, so we've never been a band to just kind of walk around the stage and just kind of just play. So we've always uh, and and we we. I don't think we were forced to, we just did it because we wanted to be tight. We rehearsed at least five days a week when we weren't on tour. We were at the rehearsal hall rehearsing constantly, tightening stuff up, uh, maybe adding something new, making sure this was tight. So, uh, so yeah, we've always been a pretty energetic band. Yeah. Not gonna look. It's, it's hard for me to just stand there. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I have to move. Al's dangerous on stage. It's like I can be tired as ever, <laughs> sleepy, and and just once I hit that stage and the people out there, you know, once I come up front, hey, I just yeah, you just don't know what you know. It just is. It just becomes you're another person once you hit that stage. Trust yeah, me. it definitely gets your adrenaline flowing. Yeah, definitely. You may finish the show and go fall out at the hotel, but when you're on that stage, you're gonna do something. That's right. <laughs> Can't help it. And it's and it's funny uh, that he what he said is very true. Uh, we've been dog tired, and you can't tell by the time we hit that stage. It just the and I'm not sure if it's just the music. I think the audience uh, does something to you uh, when we hit the stage. It's almost like a drug. Um, when we hit that stage. I think we all turn into, uh, I think you use the term mad scientists. So we just kind of turn into something else, you know, and it's, and it's, it's fun. It's, it's hard to explain too. It's superheroes. Yeah. That not, too. Not Superman, super band. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that too. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. So we've always been, you know, pretty lively on stage. Yeah. Are there a one or two like of the most unforgettable experiences from your concerts or from the road that you could share with viewers? Well, I can tell you one that I'll never forget. I was on the stage one time and we were doing a song called Stumpin' Crazy Lady. This was before any of the any ABCs, major MCAs, ACO. Right, we were the local record and company. And the record was called Stumpin' Crazy Lady. And then I say like, do the stump now. And I stumped and my foot went through the stage. He <laughs> <laughs> was at a nightclub. Yep, and I never, ever, ever. And he pulled his foot out of the stage. Sat on the side of the stage and sung the rest of the song. <laughs> and another time I had you know, twisted my leg and, you know, on stage and, you know, I didn't know what to do and I couldn't let the audience know. So we were at a, matter of fact, we were at a big union hall, you know, and after the show, I just sat there, you know, and the people thought it was part of that as they were leaving. <laughs> and I went from there straight to the hospital to get a cast. <laughs> 
Wow. You know, you do anything for the audience, but you can't let them know when something's going wrong. Because if they don't know it, they'll think it's part of the show. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I have two also. Uh, the first one, which was actually uh, published in the Jet magazine and didn't pertain to us, but they took a shot of us on stage. And this was to date that I know of the largest crowd we ever played in front of. We played a big summer outdoor concert in Grant Park in Chicago. And we were on the stage with the uh, Barquets, the Impressions, uh, a host of, of, of acts. I can't remember everybody was on the show, but it was 82,000 people listed for that show. Wow. And I always kept a copy. I don't have it now, but I had a copy of that for keepsake. And to date, I think that's our largest crowd. And um, the first time we ever did a show, a live, a live concert was with Barry White. I was scared crapless. This was our first major concert here in Detroit at a place called the Olympia Stadium. And I never will forget something my music teacher told me back in the day. They said, look, if you're ever on stage and you're nervous, said, find something in the back of the room and focus on that. He said, if it's a whole show to look like you're looking at the audience, but you're focusing on something. I never will forget there was a big gigantic clock in the back of the stadium. I think I looked at that clock for the whole show because I, I don't think anybody on stage saw me shaking, but I was extremely nervous. <laughs> and were so those two shows stand out for me. Were, were you nervous because of uh, you know the maestro being around or just because of the whole place? just because of the whole place, even though Barry White was my idol at the time, it was just it. That was the first time. Prior to that, we had only played bars and nightclubs. Nothing, probably nothing bigger than 500 people, if that meant. And this was our first concert, and we opened up for Barry White. Wow. And I was nervous. <laughs> <laughs> and, and not only was that, uh, probably three quarters of our, our whole family members were there in the front row. <laughs> so. But yeah, I was nervous as heck on that show. Wow. You must have been uh, a rush right after, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it was, it was. And I was still in awe because once Barry White came on, I was in the front of the stage screaming with the rest of the women. <laughs> <laughs> that was my idol back in the day. All right, and Al, you've kept reasonably uninjured since then? Say that again? I said you've kept reasonably uninjured since then? Well, I've had a couple of back surgeries, a knee surgery, shoulder surgery, elbow surgery. It still didn't. I have to get on it periodically. Because I still do what I do. Look, Al jumps on top of speakers. <laughs> you know how they, they'll have the subwoofers going across the front of the stage. He, I'm standing there trying to play, watching him. Our security guys is watching him. And he all of a sudden just jumps off the stage on top of a speaker. I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> so it doesn't, and he's right. When the music hit him, he, I don't know who he is after that. And he just turns into Al something else. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, he's still pretty wild. <laughs> wow. Well, glad you're still in one piece today. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> A little pain here and there, but I'm okay. <laughs> uh, I'm, with you, I'm with you with that, Al. <laughs> So the Lady album came in 84, and we had already talked about it a little bit, but um, uh, Lady You Are was a nice uh, kind of flowing R&B track. Mm -hmm. um, also had Mr. Groove on there mm -hmm. and uh, Smile, 
was another really good track. This record, again, I, you guys probably don't remember if you are the ones that made the decision, but it's another one where the first side was mellow and the second side was a party side. Yeah, and again, I don't think we had any, yeah, we anything to any do with uh, yeah. organizing the, the lineup of that particular album. It was probably done by the record company. Yeah. How did Mr. Groove come together? It reminds me, uh, in listening to it, I've heard it so many times. I never really thought about it until I just listened to it this week. For, for some reason, it struck me, you know, did that rhythm track you laid down influence Kiss by Prince? I'm not sure. That's a good more, question. More James Brown than anything. No, he said, did that influence the record Kiss? Oh, okay. You mean oh, that? I, didn't, I didn't know. It's influenced by James Brown, but I yeah. think it may have influenced Prince itself. It could have, because you know what? That lick, come to think of it, that lick that he went, -la 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 -la, kiss, that's the same kind of lick that's on James Brown's Papa's Got a Brand New Bag. So it goes, so yeah, it could have. But but um, the Eddie Murphy delirious comedy skit of James Brown is what influenced Mr. Groove. Right. So much so, the record company tried to get Eddie on the record with us, and they turned it down. <laughs> now, mind you, we was already a huge James Brown fan anyway, so it didn't matter. So, but yeah, that's where Kevin, uh, Kevin, and, and, and the rest of us kind of came up with the idea of that particular track was from the from the Eddie Murray Eddie Murphy skit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, who's actually. Uh acting as Mr. Groove on that track. I'm sorry? Who is Mr. Groove on that track? Um, you mean who did the James Brown? Kevin's younger brother, Ralph, did the first the first time it happens. The second time it happens, unfortunately, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you do many takes or just kind of boom? I probably just did it the one time. Yeah, just yeah, just yeah, because yeah, it was it was we had a habit of doing things just off the cuff sometimes, and and um, and uh, it just it just didn't take but one time to do it. And it's okay. it's 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 a joyous thing now too. Al and I were just talking about this a few days ago. When we play that song live, when we get to that part, he and I do it together. But we have to lay off the second half because when we do it, the audience is right on top of it with us. Right. It's almost like a chant. They just turned it into a chant. Part. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's got to be a kick. It is. It is. It is. It's a wonderful thing. Never get tired of that, you know, I'm sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you also had uh, Dynamite on there. Yep. That's another big West Coast uh, love song, so to speak. Now, on, on Dynamite, Smile, and Lady You Are, all those are Randy Jacobs on guitar. Mm. I, I never really had a rock, a rockish background. Randy Jacobs was a local guy that was a friend of ours uh, that could play. He played, matter of fact, he played in a few rock bands uh, locally in the city here. And uh, we brought him in to do those parts for those particular songs. The bass is really thumping on Smile, too. Yeah, that's Kevin. Yep. That's Kevin McCoy. 
you can't get enough of your love. That's a little like different from some of the stuff. It's sort of like a real fast R&B pop kind of thing. Which song was that again? Uh, can't get enough of your love. Oh shoot! I don't even remember how I go. I have no clue. It ends ends the album. Written yeah, by. I can't. Is that something you wrote? I... No, it says it says Hugh Hugh Morton. Yeah, that that yeah, <laughs> that's another story. That that's another story. Hugh Morton. That's another story. But oh that, no, that might have been a song that Al wrote. Probably. Oh no, that's. That's when we were in the days of couldn't use our name to do this. No, 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 not on that particular song. That Hugh Morton. Yeah, you talking about uh on, on from the from the '84 from the Mr. Oh, Robo. okay, okay. Yeah, that, that that other stuff. I'm getting that mixed up, but yeah, back in the day. But yeah, sometimes um sometimes you would write a song, and again we were young through a lot of those years. Mm -hmm. You didn't pay attention to whose name was on the song until you were grown up. Just like, for instance, Al and I wrote something in the past. I didn't find out till about five or six years ago that my name is not on the record. Mm -hmm. So, and <laughs> yeah. I just noticed it was never on any of my royalty statements. <laughs> it was like that on a lot of, you know, it, it's stuff that, like I say, as the other artists would say, you know, a lot of stuff that was going on that we had no control of. Yeah and didn't like our backs were kind of up against the wall at the time to let yeah. something go on but you know it was and we started young especially as far as you know not being able to use your own name for something you did you know so just keeping it real that's what yeah. it was yeah and earlier earlier on our names are not on a lot of the songs that we wrote because of uh we didn't we were not made aware that we had signed our publishing rights over and we were also told that um uh, because of that, our names couldn't go on a part of the song, so on and so forth. But again, we were all young, yeah, yeah. had no business knowledge of the industry whatsoever. And at that time, you didn't have to have any legal parent or anything uh, co-sign a contract with you. But again, it was a learning curve. Yeah. And somewhere down the line, we learned the business and changed a bunch of stuff around. So it's all good, though. It's part of, our, it's part of what made us what we are now. It actually becomes part of our blessing. Absolutely. <laughs> in a roundabout way. <laughs> right. Yeah, in a roundabout sure. way. <laughs> well, I can take some solace in the fact, I guess, that it was rampant. I mean, it was epidemic of what you went through in the Absolutely. industry. And so you were part of, you know, something that just so many were taken advantage of. Absolutely. Um, it pains me every time I hear it. Um, but hopefully now you guys uh, stranded out to the point where you're getting you know, some of your just desserts. Finally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For sure. For sure. It's so much better now. Absolutely. <laughs> so much better. Now, now being, uh, being said that, um, one thing our former manager did do uh, on our behalf, and I'm glad he did do this. See, we, we grew up in an era where songwriters were popular, certain musicians were popular, so on and so forth. But he banged it in our heads to learn how to write your own music. So because one day you're not going to probably be a good performer or your performing years may dwindle. And the only way that you will continue to make money is to write songs. And there were times when we wanted to use other outside songwriters and he wouldn't allow us. He kind of forced us to learn how to write our own music. Mm -hmm. And later on down the line, it benefited us 100,000%. Mm -hmm. So I have to give him that prop. 
definitely have to give him that prop. 